Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. What's up and welcome back to Whiskey Sex Talk. We are your host, Romeo. Maria. And Kim. All right. All right, Kim. Are we ready to do this? For today's episode, guys, we're gonna be talking, we're gonna be talking about Japanese whiskey. I know a lot of you guys don't know much about it, but we've seen Japanese whiskey out there at the bars, at this uh liquor stores. It's really, really, really one of those whiskeys that has really uh, taken us by storm. Is that correct? I mean, is that, is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely a great way to describe it. I mean, when it kind of hit the scene, uh, you know, in the late to like late 2019, you know, and early into the aughts. I mean, it was people were like, huh, Japanese whiskey. And it just, it was insane, became insanely popular and they had a very limited supply. So it became very, very hard to find and and very expensive in a lot of cases, which we'll, we can talk about more. Sorry. It's so, you know, it's so funny that because I remember the first time I had it, I was in Toluca Lake. Well, there was, there's a bar there. I forget what bar is. Look at the tavern right there. And uh, I, this was right around the same time when um, I was really getting into whiskey and I was talking to the bartender, and the bartender goes, "Hey, we have Japanese whiskey. Have you have you had Japanese whiskey before?" I'm like, "No." I was like, "The Jap- the Japanese make make whiskey." He's like, "Yeah." Anyways, that was my introduction. It's roughly around the same time uh, that you mentioned, uh, Kim. But anyways, can you tell us, like, really, how was whiskey introduced to Japan? Well, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting story. It's um... So uh, Jap- Japan was basically a closed society for had been a closed society for about 200 years uh, when Admiral uh, Matthew Perry, uh, on behalf of the U.S., sailed into, uh, you know, the, the sailed to Japan and basically demanded that the Japanese open for trade with the U.S. I mean, it was it was a very hostile gesture. I mean, they yeah, but um they did leave behind. They said, okay, we're coming back, but they left behind a bottle of whiskey and then they came back and they, they, about a year later in 1854, they, they first arrived in 1853 and they came back in 1854. They established a treaty, you know, for trade and also for protection. A big, one of the big reasons that they, you know, kind of tried to open up, um, relations with Japan is that any foreigners who were found who, you know, kind of washed up on the shores of Japan were either imprisoned or executed. So, of course, they wanted protection for their citizens. Um, Anyway, so after, uh, you know, creating this treaty with Japan, they left behind casks of whiskey. So, you know, like huge barrels. Um, So it became hugely popular with the Japanese. Japanese people, uh, but they didn't know how to make it. I mean, they were fermenting mainly, and it was just like a whole different process for them. They were making shoju and 
sake and you know which is more fermented so this was like a it it was basically introduced to the to japan by the u.s but under hostile conditions so you know it's it's such a fascinating history our connection american whiskey connected to uh japanese history because to tell you the truth the, uh, um, the japanese they love western culture not everybody but i'm saying they have an appreciation for it and and here's a little bit of that history, our impact on 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 uh, on Japanese culture and their whiskey. Now, um, I ha- I do want to know. Um, so, how and when did the Japanese learn how to distill whiskey? Uh, you gave us a little history about it, but how did this evolution happen? Well, for a long time, they the, the Japanese were making kind of ersatz whiskey. They were making what they thought whiskey would look like and taste like, but they didn't really have the means to do it. And when Perry came over, Admiral Perry came over, he brought um, American and Scotch whiskey, uh, which were basically the two dominant, uh, you know, kinds in in the beginning. But really the Japanese whiskey industry did not uh, really take off until uh, the early 19th century. Um, uh, and two gentlemen were basically responsible for that. Um, Shinjiro Tori, who eventually founded Tori Distillery. Right. And um, Suntory Distillery. And then uh, Masataka Takatsuru, who eventually founded the Nika Distillery. Um, so just a little bit of history about that. Um, Tori came from a, a, a pharmaceutical you know, family that uh, made pharmaceuticals. Uh, but he really wanted to make uh, Japanese whiskey for the people. And the way he funded that is he created this um, product called Akadama Port Wine. And, you know, even back then in the early, you know, 1900s, sex sold. So he used this, um, he, sold, he used ads featuring this um, a Japanese uh, opera actress who, you know, was not an elevated position at the time. Uh and she was very demure and she's holding a little glass of this Akadama port whiskey and she had bare shoulders, which was scandalous at the time. I mean, it's like the equivalent now of like a woman standing there holding a glass of whiskey, practically bare naked, you know. So, so wow. the, the whiskey, you know, Akadama port wine sold like crazy, made a ton of money for Tori, you know, and enabled him to start um, his distillery. But of course, the poor actress's reputation was ruined. So unfortunately, that was a side effect. Uh, but so uh, Tori was not a blender or distiller himself, but he really wanted to create a Japanese whiskey for the people. Uh, at, around the same time, Masataka Takatsuru, who came from a sake brewing brewing family, um, you know, was basically sent over to um, Scotland to learn how to distill whiskey because they, you know, they were considered kind of the gold standard of whiskey distilling at the time, uh, especially because they were making blended whiskeys primarily, which is what the Japanese ended up, uh, you know, focusing on as well. Um, so Takatsuru went to um he went to the University of Glasgow and he uh, uh was like or, I think it was organic chemistry that he studied as well as distilling and then he did a couple of internships basically the equivalent of apprenticeships with Longmorn and Hazelburn distilleries so he really you know got his hands dirty as it were you know really learned how to do it along the way he met a woman named Rita Cohen C O W A N a Scottish woman 
they married and she came back to Japan with him and became a beloved figure. She became a beloved figure uh, in the Japanese whiskey industry. I mean, so much so that they created a soap opera about uh, Takatsuru and Rita. So she Whoa. really was extremely supportive of him. Uh, and she's very much a part of that story. Um, and Takatsuru, uh, because he had the blending and distilling skills, he was hired by Tori. He didn't have the money himself to start a distillery, but so Tori uh, uh, hired him. And there's a little bit of conflict, you know, from the very beginning. I mean, it was a 10-year contract. Tori, uh, you know, uh, Takatsuru wanted to um, the distillery to be in Hokkaido, northern part of Japan on an island, which, because he felt it mimicked um the conditions in Scotland uh, better. So it's like, you know, overcast, cool, foggy, uh, which is very much, the, you know, the conditions that, that uh, Scottish whiskey aged in. But uh, Tory had the money, he had the vision, and so he prevailed and they built a distillery um, uh, in uh, Yamazaki, in Yamazaki, which is very near to Kyoto. And the water there, one of the reasons he decided to do that is the water there is so pure that a famous Japanese tea master um, had his had his tea room there. So, you know, he he wasn't it wasn't arbitrary. I mean, there were some commercial reasons, but he really, you know, had the he felt like water was very important. And it, of course, it is. It's a crucial element in, in Japanese whiskey. So, um, and, but I think things went fairly well, but I, uh, uh, Takatsuru left before his contract was up. And, uh, to this day, no, and this is, you know, uh, to, to this day, no Japanese distillery will, um, use distillate from another Japanese distillate, distillate, uh, another Japanese distillery. So unlike Scottish distilleries where they will um, trade whiskeys all the time for their blended whiskeys, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to Cameron Bridge and get some grain whiskeys to go with my single malt whiskeys. So, and I am, and, and Japan is the same way. It's all what they call vertical distilling. Uh, And I, I, my theory, I haven't heard anybody else necessarily say this, but uh, that the issues between um, uh, Takatsuru and Tori might have been the reason that they didn't do any interaction between the two distilleries. You know, it's like, this is my distillery, there's your distillery, and never the twain shall meet. So, um, yeah. Wow, this this is probably one of the, this has to be my favorite whiskey history I, yeah. so far i have to say it's literally it's, it's literally a tale of two distilleries <laughs> it is amazing it's super it's yeah it's super fun and so when takatsuru went off to um found his distillery he went up to hokkaido he established uh the distillery yoichi distillery which is one of two distilleries that um uh or uh two distilleries that um his distillery nika n-i-k-k-a uh, you know, basically uses and, and, um, so, uh, you know, so he went off and like, yeah, created his own distillery. And, uh, it's, it's just, it's so interesting to me. And I, I, again, I, I wonder sometimes if it was because of that, you know, that they parted on, you know, terms that were maybe weren't absolutely, um, so, uh, you know, on the best ideal. of terms. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. like, it's like, you know, like feudal Japan, two households <laughs> right. here, you know, but no, it's, it's, it's such rich history. I really, really, this is, Maria said it is fast. I'm really fascinated 
by uh, Japanese whiskey history. It's just, uh, you know, it's so unique. It's, I don't know, I, I can feel like... Yeah, there's like a, there's a depth to it. There's love in there. There's passion. Right, there's rivalry. Of, there's you know. rivalry. It's like, yeah. you know, it's a real... Um, it's like a yeah. complicate it's there are complications it's, it's right there's war yeah, yeah there's yeah. war so and you know what's interesting is the is japanese the history of japanese distilling is only about 100, 100 years, years old, old yeah. i mean compared to you know hundreds of years in as we've discussed you know in, in prior episodes um irish you know whiskey distilling scotch distilling both you know been around since you know the 14 and 1500s so um, so Apart from the from keeping the distilleries separate, which I imagine is one of the one of the defining characteristics of the Japanese whiskey industry, what are some others? Well, again, you know that uh, you know that that dependence on their own distilleries. You know, all they have, they everybody makes their own distillates to blend, and so because they're you know dependent on their own resources. Um, they, uh, basically each, each distilling house has, it has separate distilleries underneath that. So for instance, Nika has, uh, Yoichi and Miyagiko. They both create different kinds of styles of whiskey. One is peatier, one is a little bit, you know, more mainstream. And then they use everything. And then, um, Suntory has, uh, three different distillers, distillery. So it's like one brand, each brand has different distilleries underneath it, you know, like physical distilleries underneath it. And because of that, blending is really a big deal in Japan and, and in Japanese whiskey. And I would say that, um, as opposed to, you know, single malts or single expressions became, you know, much more popular, especially, well, in Scotland, uh, you know, the single malt craze you know, really popped up in the late 1990s. Uh, and everybody was like, single malt, single malts, you know, or single barrels or, you know, um, uh, bourbons. And so Japanese, you know, so blended whiskey was con- kind of considered uh, less than, you know, people thought it was a lesser whiskey. But in but the Japanese really elevated the conversation in terms of, um, you know, blended whiskey really being an elegant art. And, you know, they... I, I would say they put blenders on the map in a way that none of the other, you know, whiskey, they really kind of elevated that position as opposed to just distillers. So it's it's really interesting that they have a unique system where, you know, a single distillery produces multiple different distillate, uh, distillates, distillates, distillates. Yeah, it's like it's the better way to think about it is one brand will usually will often, especially the big brands, will have multiple distilleries. So like, you know, three different distilleries or two different distilleries. And then the whiskeys from those distilleries come to make whiskeys for the, you know, for the which, general brand. Which is, uh, Does which that is, make sense? Yeah, which is extremely uncommon in, in Scotland, which is that's what I find interesting. Um, uh, yeah, the, I mean, some of the whiskey distilleries in Scotland have their own, you know, have multiple distilleries, but usually what they'll do is they'll purchase it from another. I mean, there's some distilleries in Scotland that exist literally to just create whiskeys to sell to, uh, you know, blend it to brands that make a lot of blends. So now are those the only define defining characteristics? Is there more to, to it or, or that's pretty, that's pretty much it. Well, yeah, I mean, that is probably the define, you know, one of the defining characteristics. Now there, uh, there are, 
legal definitions. I was just going were... <laughs> to say, because the Japanese are very, very, um, they like, they're, they're, you know, they have, they like structure. And I was just going to ask you, what are the legal definitions of Japanese whiskey? Right. Well, so that's a very interesting question. Um, and thanks for asking that. So for years, considering how precise they are about rules and regulations, the Japanese whiskey industry was pretty much unregulated until 2021. Really? I mean, because, yeah. Wow. And that's because part of that is because, um, you know, when Japanese whiskey came on the scene in, you know, late 1990s, early two, Th- 2000s, 2000s, yeah. You know, there was they were not prepared for I mean, they were not prepared for their success. And so they did not have enough whiskey. They had not produced enough whiskey to keep up with with the demand. Um, So what started happening and this was legal under Japanese whiskey law, uh, they could bring in distillate. They could bring in a product from Scotland. And it was primarily Scotland because there was you know, such a history of, you know, Scotland and and um, Japanese whiskey, you know, they were the Japanese whiskey was basically based off of uh, Scottish whiskey because of Takatsura's methods. So um, so but what they would do is they would bring in distillate from Scotland mainly, and they would, you know, bottle eight, sometimes age it, often just blend it and bottle it with Japanese whiskeys. And then sell it as Japanese whiskey. And that was completely legal for many, many years. It was just because it was, you know, because it was basically just a tax law. So it wasn't um, laws like, you know, bourbon, obviously, is one of the most highly regulated, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whiskeys in the world in terms of, you know, has to be made in in the U.S., has to be 51 percent corn. So by by comparison, Japanese whiskey uh, was not regulated at all. And so just recently, um, they laid down these standards, and these are going to go into effect ultimately by 2024. They're allowing some grace period, you know, for everybody to kind of get their ducks in order, um, their whiskeys, their whiskey ducks in order. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's kind of up to speed when, you know, the when the uh, distilleries you know, when those rules come into effect. And so um, the uh, so here's the here's the most recent standards. Um, so water, the water used to make the whiskey has to be extracted in Japan. Uh, the convert the sacrification, which is basically the technical term for the conversion of starches into sugars um, and the fermentation distillation must take place at a Japanese distillery. Uh, the whiskey must be matured in wooden casts stored in Japan for at least three years. These are all very similar to Scottish mm-hmm. and, and American and Canadian whiskeys. Bottling must take place only in Japan with a minimum strength of 40% ABV. You can use plain caramel co- coloring in, you know, prior uh, episodes. Like can- I've like talked can- about Canadian. I, yeah. Go. No, like, yeah, so like so Canadian. The, yeah, so like American uh, whiskey. Well, American whiskey cannot use caramel coloring. Scottish whiskey can. And as we talked about in the Canadian whiskey episode, caramel coloring and flavoring whiskey could be used. And then, you know, whiskeys that don't meet those above requirements after the laws, you know, kind of firmly go into effect, they can't use any kind of geographical references. They can't use a flag of Japan. They can't, couldn't mention you know, uh, you know, somebody famous in Japan. So, you know, whiskeys that don't adhere to those and some of them are not going to, you know, there are people, there are distillers in the Japanese whiskey uh, association who are, who are not in the Japanese whiskey association are like, you know, I'm not going to do that. 
So, I mean, the big the big guns are, you know, Suntory says they already comply. Nika made it very clear, you know, what complies and what doesn't. Some they'll continue to make. Uh, but if it's um, if it's not, uh, if it doesn't meet those legal definitions, if there's a blended a, a blended whiskey of Scotch whiskey or some other kind of whiskey and Japanese whiskey, it's called a world whiskey. So um, that's that's the big, you know. But some of those, you know, legal definitions are very similar to ones we've talked about for you know Canada, for Scotland, for Ireland, you know, American. I'm glad you actually gave me that. I actually was on. I was gonna. I was thinking. I was like, oh, these are probably. Uh, craft like whiskey, which I think they call it like G G whiskey. I think they call that. That's like the slang or what they use in in Japan. G whiskey. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, which that's means, interesting. Which is like whiskey made from local distilleries, and that's that's only available within the region. Uh, mm-hmm. But I thought when you were talking about like when they don't meet these standards, I was thinking, oh, they probably become like local. But no, you actually said they're, they're called what is was it? What's the official term? World 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 whiskeys is what they could be called. Or if they are really just kind of completely off the map, or they don't want to specify, they can be called. You know, the label has to read unspecified origin whiskey of unspecified origin. So you know, they're trying to be very you know very precise about that. And um, you know, they're yeah. So. Uh, but I haven't heard. I don't think I've heard the word, uh, the expression "G whiskey Romeo." So um, I, think I, I always I, learn something from you guys. <laughs> no, I, I think that's that's. I, I've heard that, and I I I I was under the impression right now what you were saying. I was like, oh, maybe this is. But then, no, it's. I think uh, uh, craft distilleries specifically. That's what they're referred to now. So when you let's say in Japan, and I'm I'm just taking a little you know stroll here, side stroll. Sure. Uh, in Japan, these world whiskeys or these world spirits like. How are they marketed? Does it says whiskey? Does it say world whiskey? Like, because it, it, it almost seems like it's a bootleg kind of some, some well, sort of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was kind of for a long time. I mean, the fact that it, it, it took 10 years just to create these standards, 10 years. And the whiskey, considering how long Japanese whiskey has been around, it's kind of shocking and, you know, winning awards. I mean, so uh, it was kind of the dirty little secret for, for a long time. So, That's yeah. So, cool. so uh, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's, so how are they marketed? I mean, I think they have to be transparent. Um, you know, Decanta, uh, which is, uh, you know, an e-commerce site for whiskey, um, they're very clear about, you know, they have to be very clear about, uh, you know, what everything is to be labeled and, and the brands have to, you know, be accountable too. So, um, you know, they're held to that standard. And could you tell us, um, a little bit more about rice whiskey? Oh, and yes. Yeah. Go like ahead. How, that, sorry. How, how, well, obviously how that's different. I mean, it's going to be different because it's rice whiskey, but, you know, specifically would be interesting to know about that. Well, uh, so that is the that is the category, actually, that is kind of the uh, that kind of wasn't really taken into consideration with these new standards. I mean, it's a grain risky. I mean, rice is a grain. So by the general standard of what, you know, whiskey is the umbrella term for any distilled fermented, uh, you know, grain whiskey. So. However, Japanese whiskey historically, um, and it's fairly new to the scene, uh, but j- rice whiskey uh, was basically shoju uh, that was, you know, basically distilled and, and put into barrels. And so it couldn't be called, uh, it can't be called whiskey by 
any by the Japanese standards, especially the new legal ones. But oh. in America, it's considered whiskey. So it can't say Japanese whiskey <laughs> on the label, wow. but it, it you know, is it's called a product of Japan. It's called a whiskey that's a product of Japan. So um, and a couple of those uh, distilleries are Fukano uh, and Oishi. And they're amazing whiskeys. So, um, the, th- and the part of the issue is that, uh, the way they're, that the yeast is formed is by a mold called koji, K-O-J-I. And, you know, maybe some of our listeners are going mold, gross, you know, but that's basically what makes, uh, um, you know, soy sauce. I mean, it's just that is mm-hmm. the process used to create any kind of yeast based product. So, and it's, I mean, it's, it's uh and it you know black koji which is what's used for uh for instance fukano whiskey it produces a wonderful flavor but they have to figure out you know that has to be included and they haven't quite figured out how to include that even though it's a it's a you know not insignificant part of uh you know the japanese whiskey scene at this point that's that's uh that's actually interesting that like to their <laughs> yeah. standards it's not whiskey the soju but uh, yeah. but you know <laughs> but, but in America it is, <laughs> yeah. it is. well uh, it's partly it's because of the the barreling you know uh, the way the barreling and and uh, yeah I mean it it it's I it's I will say Fukano and Oishi I am huge huge fans of those whiskeys um, especially Fukano I mean I've you know, I just, I love them and, uh, I would highly recommend them to anybody, but, um, yeah, it's just, and again, it's weird that, you know, the Japanese whiskey industry, they, they were so lax for so long. And then all of a sudden they became very rule oriented, but, you know, weren't working with these whiskeys that, you know, have been around, you know, made not an insignificant, you know, part of the, uh, that have been not an insignificant part of the landscape for, you know, a number of years now. Who are some notable women in the Japanese whiskey industries or in history? Well, uh, of course, I think I've mentioned uh, Rita Takatsura, and she is, you know, just beloved. Um, And um, I have to say that I, you know, also just love her because she looks like my Scottish grandmother. Oh, wow. (laughs) I mean, I've like looked at photos side side by side. She's like, oh, my gosh, she looks so much like Avery. Anyway, um, so uh, so she is obviously very famous. Um, uh, a woman named Chizuru Fukano, I was mentioning rice whiskeys. Uh, she is basically was um, the wife of the founder, of, you know, one of the distillers um, of Chizuru, I mean, of uh, Fukano, Fukano distillery. Yeah. And she really brought that, that distillery on the map. I mean, she created a... Um, uh, like an, I think it was an anime, um, festival in and around that to bring people to the region. They're, um, the whiskey, both of those whiskeys plus another whiskey I'm going to mention, uh, the water and the rice are from the, uh, Kumamoto Valley, um, which is kind of prone to floods, but you know, the rice is fabulous. So she really brought, uh, Japanese whiskey to the, international attention so and she was dishonored she's you know starting she's retired from the distillery but she's starting her own business um a woman named ann so woods s-o-h she's an american woman but she created this japanese whiskey called kikori 
And um, it, it's uh, the rice all comes from that same valley, Kumamoto Valley. Um, and it's uh, she kind of designed it for American taste. So it's a, you know, maybe a little lighter, very good cocktail whiskey. Highly recommend if you're like a whiskey cocktail fan, uh, you know, I would highly recommend uh, that whiskey. Um, there's a woman, um, uh, Emiko Kaji, who is uh, the international brand uh, development manager for Nika. She was the person who really brought Nika, you know, into the international. She developed that whole market for Nika. Uh, and she's, I, I've done events with her. She's great. Uh, very funny. When she was somebody, she was asked if uh, uh, Nika uh, trades dis- distillate with any other distilleries or Japanese, if Japanese distilleries. And her answer was no. Oh, hell no. She's like, it's very, (laughs) she's this very, you know, kind of prim and proper looking, you know, but she's hilarious. So she's great. Um, And then uh, there's also the woman um, who started, I mentioned Decanta, you know, which is that e-commerce site. uh, And the woman who started that, uh, you know, she started it in, I think it was 2018 and it's really, her name is Makio Masa, and she's the founder and director. Um, and it was actually, it started in 2015. She started in 2015, and she had traveled abroad, and she couldn't find Japanese whiskey. So she created that e-commerce site uh, to, and it's really, for a lot of people, that's how they get their Japanese whiskeys is through that site. If they, you know, are in a kind of a market where, you know, you know, kind of a more remote market. I mean, no, I'm really, Kalakawa means good job for the women, Japanese women and and their involvement. I think ever since you, you, you told me and and me reading about like women's involvement in whiskey, I just, it's like, it's everywhere. Like they've been such a part of, uh, they've been such a huge part of, of, of the history. And I just love you when you, when you share those like bits of history or who are these notable um, individuals. Yeah, it's I mean, I hope that there there will become more blenders and distillers. I mean, that is something I would say, uh, to my knowledge, Japanese distilleries, you know, all of the blenders and all of the um, distillers are men still. And, you know, they're there and strides have been made. I, we've talked about this in prior episodes. You know, women are really making strides in those areas in American whiskey and certainly in Scottish and um, Irish whiskey. But, uh, you know, J- Japan still has a way to go in terms of so cool, those though. key roles. Yeah. So speaking of distillers, um, could you please tell us uh, a little bit about the craft distilleries in Japan? Yeah, it's interesting. So what happened with a lot a lot of what would be considered craft distilleries in the U.S.? Um, I mean, there certainly are some. Kayo is one. They, you know, kind of made their name by uh, to age their whiskeys. They kind of put it on. They age the whiskeys by putting them on boats, and they, you know, go sailing around. And the the motion of the boat will, uh, you know, help the aging. It helps speed up the aging process. Um, Akeshi, A K K E S. S-H-E, I believe is it's spelled. That's a brand new distillery. Very, that's actually is what I would consider the most craft distillery uh, coming out. Um, kind of a lot of micro distilleries, but, um, but a lot of the distilleries, kind of the new, young, newer uh, distilleries 
are older distilleries that basically had to close um, because in, I think it was the 1980s, um, Japan imposed stricter tax laws on Japanese distilleries. And so a lot of them couldn't survive. I mean, they basically had to shut down, I mean, on whiskey. So in taxing whiskey, so a lot of them reverted to doing brandy or to, you know, kind of just focusing on their brewing efforts. Uh, so um, like Mars, uh, Shinsu Mars is, you know, could basically be considered, you know, I mean, it's a distant third to Nika and Centauri, uh, but they're, you know, they were a powerhouse. You know, before they kind of had to shut down because of that. Um, Chichibu is kind of considered it's a it's uh, it's a I would say it's more of a boutique distillery in that, um, you know, the it, it's kind of like the Pappy Van Winkle of Japanese whiskey oh. in that, you know, they were making. Uh, they make very, you know, they were making very limited editions of things. So there was like the, I think it was the chess series, you know, you impossible to find. So, you know, uh, although that can really be applied to all Japanese whiskeys, because, you know, again, as I mentioned, there was so little um, product available when they became popular um, that, you know, everything became really, really expensive and very hard to find. So now, you know, and they still, you know, and also because of those distilling techniques and blending techniques that I talked about, they, you know, it's harder for them to come in at some of the, the more accessible price points that Scotch or American whiskey or Tennessee whiskey or Canadian whiskey can come in at. So, um, you know, so it's, it's a, there are definitely whiskeys that are, you know, kind of smaller distilleries that have either been revitalized, uh, or kind of, you know, brought back to life or started by, you know, veteran distillers. But there are not as many craft, craft distilleries, quote unquote, as like you would see in America where, um, you know, just, I mean, there's hundreds have been started since the whiskey craze and, you know, maybe a couple of handfuls, you know, in the Japanese, you know, whiskey industry. I'm so excited for Japanese whiskey and their evolution and where they're going to go in the future because they're a small country, but a powerful a force economically. Like, you know, the, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Now, here's what I want to know and what I think all our listeners want to know right now. It's what are some Japanese whiskeys to look out for? Well, I would say, um, you know, of course, you have to look to a couple of, uh, you know, the big brands um, just for accessibility, uh, primarily. Um, Nika has Nika Days is a blend uh, like many of their whiskeys. I mean, they Nika has, you know, pure malts, single malts and blends. But Nika Days is a great entry level whiskey. Um you know, very accessible. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, some people see entry level as like, oh, it's uninteresting, which is not the case. I mean, that's, you know, that's somebody being a whiskey snob. So um, it's a, it's very accessible. And uh, but it it's also an accessible price price point. Uh, and a lot of these entry level whiskeys, you know, are intended to be either, you know, you can sip them straight or you can use them in cocktails. So Nika Days is one. Um, Nika Coffee Still uh, Grain Whiskey is a very, very popular brand. Uh, it's got it's the one with the pink label and coffee is c-o-f-f-e-y and i think when we were i mentioned this when we were talking about um irish mm -hmm. uh stills um coffee was uh Anais coffee was the inventor of the column still which is used for grain whiskeys primarily 
instead of single malt, uh, you know, products. Uh, so that is hugely popular. A lot of coconut notes in that. Uh, and then Nika by the, from the barrel, um, is that was one number one whiskey in the world by whiskey advocate in 2018. And it's wow. still available and, you know, relatively accessible. Um, Suntory, uh, has, you know, uh, Toki is a very, very popular brand. Again, entry level, a little bit more malt than grain, uh, compared to like a Nika days. And that was kind of created for the highball craze with which Japan kind of brought back. So that's basically just some whiskey, uh, you know, really sparkling water and maybe, you know, uh, not even squeezed in, but just a, you know, lemon wedge or a sprig of mint. And uh, because of its high malt content, it's very accessible and, you know, very works very well for that. Um, Hibiki Harmony is also, uh, you know, a great, uh, you know, I think just a wonderful and very, very popular blend um, from Suntory. So that's a little higher price. But and then there's, you know, I mean, you know, some of the earlier Yamazaki 12, 18, you know, but they were so they I mean, went for hundreds of dollars almost immediately after becoming, you know, after Suntory became famous. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, I, sometimes I'll do private whiskey tastings. And I'll say, oh, da, 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 da. And people say, well, why aren't we tasting those whiskeys? It's like, well, you know, uh, if you want to spend a thousand dollars on them, you can. Hey, and we can not? do that. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to pay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Somebody pass around the hat and uh, over and out and get it right now. So, but they're also harder to find, you know, they're not, it's not because they're just, you know, jacking up the price to, you know, stick it to the consumer. It's just, it's because of lack of accessibility. There's just lack of product. So those it are some of my like favorites. We, uh, sounds like we need to, you know, get our whis uh, whiskey bucket list out and <laughs> put all those on there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 that would be fun to do for a future episode is just, <laughs> you know, everybody get our, our bucket list the bucket whiskey. List. So. Hey, that's a good, yeah. that's a good bucket idea for an episode. Whiskey. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. We'll keep that in mind. Well, listen, yeah. um, <laughs> That's been, I think this is, I, I love that you, this little Japanese whiskey history, all of this. It's just very, it's one, it's very refreshing because we all hear about, you know, American whiskey, you know, uh, Scottish, Irish, like the, the very, the standards, you know, but like now, like, you know, we're going to be covering all these different regions that are starting to be known for their whiskey. Anyways, on that note... That is it, ladies and gentlemen, for this week's for this episode. Uh, till next time, I am your host, Romeo. And I'm your co-host, Maria. And I'm your co-host, Kim. Bye. Thank you for talking about whiskey. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.